Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to In for Layoff, the podcast. This is episode 86 called Caroline. Okay, so before we get started with my conversation with Caroline, I wanted to say welcome back. This is officially season three of Infertile AF. So I have had the pleasure of talking to so many cool people, so many interesting people, sharing so many stories. And today it continues with Caroline's story, which I'll get into in a moment. But before we do that, I wanted to let you guys know that Fertility Rally, my other business, is open the first week of every month. So it's open now through November 7th. And it's what we call the worst club with the best members. And it offers 24 seven community, searchable profiles. You can connect with other members, a rally feed message board where you can ask questions, share treatment details and vent. And then we have two weekly support groups every week. We also have tons of curated content, guest blogs, a dear rally column, bonus podcasts, 10 minutes with interviews, and so many events. So as a member, you also get exclusive discounts on our favorite fertility-friendly brands. And each month, we have at least one themed event, such as building your modern family when you're LGBTQ, infertility and women of color, or all things IVF. So we would love to have you come and join our family. We have monthly memberships, we have annual memberships, and we have giftable memberships. So even if you're not going through this, but somebody you love is, we think it's the perfect gift to give them a three-month or a six-month or a year-long membership to this supportive community that Blair Nelson of Fab Fertility and I created because it's the place we wish we had when we were going through it. So check out Fertility Rally at fertilityrally.com, and we hope to see you soon. Thanks. All right. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my guest today. Her name is Caroline and I met her through a friend, a mutual friend who came up to me at Soul Cycle class actually and said, you have to meet my friend Caroline and talk to her. She's gone through so much and I want, I think she'd be great on your show. So she is here today and she's going to tell us all about how she was diagnosed with cervical cancer at the age of 26 and how she had to start fertility treatments before she started her cancer treatments. Because as she explains in her case in particular, once you start chemo and radiation and depending what your treatments are, you know, you might not be able to get pregnant after that. So she's going to tell us her experience and it's a great story. And one other disclaimer I want to say is that she lives very close to a naval base in Virginia. So please bear with us at certain moments in the chat when some fighter jets are flying by. It's pretty funny and she's really great. So Caroline, you are such a badass. Thank you for sharing your story. And without further ado, this is Caroline's infertility story. Caroline. Hi, darling. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm so glad that we got introduced. So I have to give a little backstory and a little shout out to our mutual friend, Haley, who I know from Soul Cycle. She and I used to ride in Noah's class all the time. I recently saw her again for the first time in months, seven months, probably because we were riding outside at Soul. And she pulled me aside and said, I have this friend, Caroline, that I really want to put you in touch with. So 
let's start there. Why, how do you know Haley and why did she want us to get together and, you know, be put in touch? Yeah. Haley is an angel. I met Haley when I was going through cervical cancer treatment at Memorial Sloan Kettering Mm -hmm. in New York city. And she was my nurse on the female gynecological floor of MSK. And because I was there quite frequently. And I think my dad talking to the nurses so often during my time there, she just became a really close friend and Mm -hmm. ended up opening up about her story as I was going through mine. And we were able to stay in contact even after I left MSK. But like I said, I was there for cervical cancer, Mm -hmm. which started, uh, I was diagnosed almost a year ago today, actually. Wow. Yeah. In uh, mid to late October of 2019. Mm -hmm. And leading up to that, I had six months of pretty significant, excruciating tailbone pain directly in my tailbone. I could not sleep. I could not sit. I was seeing about nine different doctors at one point and none of them were working together and none of them were able to find what was wrong. I kept being dismissed. And finally I said nope, something is really, really wrong. I mean, I was up every night searching Mm -hmm. on Google, searching on Reddit for someone who had a similar story to me. Okay, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. What did it feel like? Like, and I know we were talking before we had kind of like a pre-intro conversation. You were saying you couldn't sit down at work. It was so painful. So what, just, can you describe the pain? Yeah, absolutely. It was this sharp gnawing pain that never left my tailbone. Um, Mm -hmm. I was taking 800 milligrams of ibuprofen every four hours, Mm -hmm. putting heating pads, tried CBD, et cetera. But yeah, it was, it was this sharp, constant pain and it was very much located in my tailbone. Um, it rarely extended outwards. It was super centralized. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was my main symptom, but I had failed to fully acknowledge the, other symptoms that I were experiencing and how they played their parts together. So at the same time that this was going on, I was bleeding a lot with, with intercourse mm-hmm. actually got to the point where I was not having intercourse anymore because I was bleeding so much and mm-hmm. it was uncomfortable. Um, was it painful and bleeding or just uncomfortable because of all the blood or both? Well, it was painful too. And I yeah. think I am embarrassed, but I think as a woman, sometimes you put up with pain and you think that that's normal per se, and Mm -hmm. it is not normal. Uh, The blood was definitely the most uh, shocking to me. And Mm -hmm. then I would also spot almost every day uh, in the morning time. So finally, I was like, all of these symptoms go together. They're not separate. And uh, I had mentioned this to my doctors and I was like, something is really wrong. Finally, I ended up seeing a different gynecologist who found the tumor that was five inches and she found it within 10 minutes of doing an internal exam Mm -hmm. after six months of seeing other doctors. So what did she do differently? Was she the first one to do an internal exam or like, how did she find it so easily and everybody else had missed it? That's a great question. I still ask myself that all the time. I... I think she was the only one who took me seriously. I bled out at other appointments when other doctors did an internal. And I think she was the only one who, 
use that as enough evidence to continue looking. Whereas others just thought maybe I was sensitive or Mm. that area was sensitive. So it must've been so sorry to interrupt, but it must've been so frustrating for you and scary because you're like, I know something's going on, but no one's figuring it out. Nobody's helping me. Did you feel kind of like helpless or like scary? Yes. I actually started a a company, a platform, which I think Haley had mentioned to you as well. But the reason for the company, which is called Femunity, is honestly because of the six months leading up to the diagnosis. And the diagnosis, it's actually less about the treatment of cancer itself. Because in those six months, and then what I'll say about my diagnosis after, I just felt like so so many people weren't listening to me Mm -hmm. and I didn't have people to talk to about it who had gone through similar things. They couldn't find any outlet that provided me that. And so I set out to build Femunity, which is a community crowdsourcing platform for women to simply share their health experiences and questions and learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So great. We'll talk a little bit more about that before we wrap up, but I want to get, keep going with your story. So she found this tumor five inches. Yeah. And, um, come to behold, it was pushing, it was coming out of my cervix and towards the rectum, which made it stage three C because it was also in my lymph nodes. And the reason for the extreme pain was it was pushing on my rectum, which Mm -hmm. is located right near your tailbone. And so the nerves in that area were inflaming what I was considering the tailbone. Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that is uh, why I was at MSK, but a big part of the story. Ooh, go ahead. I was going to say, how did it feel to to get that diagnosis that it was in fact cancer? Oh, relieving actually, which is so weird. And every time I say that, I'm like, people are probably like, huh? But after six months of literally no sleep, basically failing at work, having to separate yourself from friends because you felt like you were complaining too often for someone in the medical community to validate your pain in such a big way and Mm -hmm. there to be a plan was actually very relieving. Mm -hmm. What about your partner? You said that, you know, you, there was somebody in the mix. Was it the same person all along or like? He's been so great. We actually just started talking in June of the year I was diagnosed and it was long distance. So we had just started getting serious when I was diagnosed, which was really unfortunate, but he stayed in the picture throughout all of my treatment. And now he's obviously the one that I have more of the family planning conversations with. And Mm -hmm. There's some airplanes flying over. I was going to say, I hear like a woo. I wasn't sure what that was. Very, oh, hold on, Allison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I live very close to a Navy base in Virginia. <laughs> so oftentimes there are fighter jets and such going over. So one of the stories that I really wanted to point out in terms of family planning and, and how my cancer diagnosis changed that was once I was diagnosed with cervical cancer, I had a very limited amount of time to consult with different cancer institutions. And I went with two. And the first one I went with was a male, older oncologist. And he gave me a pretty scary prognosis mm-hmm. and did not mention anything about life after cancer. So what did he say? 
He said I had a 60% chance of surviving. Oh my God. Yep. And he never mentioned that my treatment would cause me not to be able to bear children. Mm -hmm. So I left that appointment feeling very startled. Mm -hmm. And then I went to a second appointment at MSK, which is where Haley works. So that's where I met Haley. And at my very first consultation with my female oncologist, she said, what do you want in your life after cancer? Do you want a family? And I said, yes, of course. I had never thought anything differently. Mm -hmm. And she said, you won't be able to bear children after the treatment. And she said, I am willing to push back your chemo start date by two weeks if you can start fertility treatment tomorrow. And yes. So not only was I preparing to start fertility treatment out of nowhere in 24 hours, I was also digesting the fact that if I had gone with the first oncologist, I wouldn't have even known that I couldn't have my own babies until Mm -hmm. I was at least halfway through chemo. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Yeah, I know. Thank God that you talked to her. She's amazing. I know. I I actually verbatim tell her all the time that I'm so grateful to her to be alive, but I'm also grateful to her that she asked that question mm-hmm. and you know made it a priority. Like mm-hmm. she knew that this is an important part of being a woman, and she wanted to acknowledge it and help me figure it out. Mm-hmm. I feel like by just saying that just now, you've already helped people that are listening that are like, I need to be asking these questions. You know, if there's a yeah. young cancer patient out there that you you need to ask about this stuff, they might not bring it up, you know? You, you have to be your biggest advocate and mm-hmm. fertility is a big, big part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started fertility treatment the very next day. And so what did that look like? What was the treatment? You were going in for like a retrieval? Yes. I was okay. going to go in for a retrieval. So... I had the whole thing with the needles and the various injections. I would go in every day for an ultrasound for about two weeks. And the nurses there would give me some injections. And then I also was responsible for injecting either in my you know, thigh or my butt or the lower part of my stomach every day. But I have to stop there and give an incredible shout out to my sister, her name is Lori Beth, and she came to me with came to that very first fertility appointment with me. She learned how to do all of the procedures with mm-hmm. the needles, and she was actually my nurse. So I probably only injected myself maybe twice. She really did all of the other ones. Um, she was such a light in those times, and she she researched and and helped me understand exactly what was going on the best that we could. But I think something that I wasn't expecting during that time was how uncomfortable it makes you. I mean, I had a tumor in the back of my back, so that was pushing out one way. And then obviously as your ovaries grow, it actually pushes and protrudes your stomach outward. So I was having, you know, both sides of my body pushing outward. And I also felt a lot of nausea and and other side effects that no one had really mentioned to me on the medical side throughout the process. And then I had to be admitted to the hospital, unfortunately, about two days before my final egg retrieval procedure. 
And we had to bring and have all of them approved, all of the needles and various liquids that needed to be injected. We had to bring them into the hospital room with me. And usually doctor or like at at a hospital, doctors don't allow you to bring in outside medicine. So we had to have everything approved and documented. And I actually did my trigger shot. My sister did it for me and she did it while I was laying in a hospital bed with Haley as my nurse. Wow. Yeah. How did you stay stay (laughs) strong through all of this? Like this is so much to be going through. Yeah, it's a lot. And I was only... 26 years old, Mm -hmm. which is very young for cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in those moments, you don't really have a choice. So you have to keep moving forward. You have to go hour by hour, day by day. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, after treatment ends, that's when you have time to process or for worse. But, But while you're in it, you just have to move forward. You have these people around you who love you, who need you to keep moving forward and you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So can I ask you about cervical cancer in general? Definitely. Um, And this probably sounds like a dumb question, but do do they know why you had it? Is it hereditary? Is it environmental? Like, is it a combination? Is it something they're not sure about? Like, did, did they ever give you a reason? Not a dumb question. And it's something that I still struggle with. I've made peace with a lot of different parts of having cancer, but the answer is no. And I don't know if it's no, because usually oncologists, they take you from where you are when you arrive and only move you forward, but they Mm -hmm. don't do a lot of research into how you got there. Okay. It's just not really in their function. So they'll talk about prognosis and future and current moment, but they don't really go back into the past. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've had to do that with myself through various research and again, crowdsourcing, which I'm a huge fan of from other women. And there are some skepticism about various ways you can get cervical cancer, excuse me. Um, some of them being multiple sexual partners, smoking tobacco, Hmm. but nothing has enough research that you would find it, you know, in a, in a magazine or like, Mm-hmm. It's not commonplace to talk about because it's all still skeptics. Mm-hmm. But I did, just for the listeners, I did have all of my HPV shots mm-hmm. and I was having regular pap smears and nor the HPV shots or the pap smears detected it mm-hmm. on time. So there is um, some, there is a belief that some cervical cancer cells are new or there's a new version of them and they are growing much more rapidly than cervical mm-hmm. cancer used to be. Again, I don't have setbacks on that, but that's the only thing I can kind of wrap my head around because I had had a pap smear a year prior. And then within that year, I had grown such a large tumor. Right. Okay. Thank you for indulging me in that. Yeah. So once the day came for my fertility, for my egg retrieval, I was actually wheelchaired, Allie. I'm not exaggerating. I was wheelchaired from one hospital to another hospital that had been working together on my, because I had one hospital doing the cancer treatment and the other hospital doing the egg retrieval. So the different doctors were working together and I got wheeled over there and I had my egg retrieval. And when I was back at the, at MSK recovering from it, I think I remember a doctor coming in to talk to me about chemo the next day. 
And I remember just being like, you have to leave. Like, I need a second <laughs> to uh-huh. just breathe and get over the shock and pain of what just happened for at least an hour. <laughs> and, then, mm-hmm. and then you can come back. And I know that we have to talk about what's happening tomorrow. But but yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's how it, that's how it happened. And I have to say, I'm really, I kind of pinch myself every day for the silver linings. And one of the silver linings is I have 17 eggs from that one egg retrieval. Okay. So, and that was the only one that you're able to do, correct? Cause then after that, obviously you started your treatment. Yeah. And even that was kind of a push in terms of starting chemo. So right. I was able to do that one. Oh my gosh. That's a lot though. 17 is great. I know. I know. I, I feel really lucky because I know for just one retrieval, you know, on average that that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should say too, I think we talked about this before, but my friend, Amanda Rice, who started Chick Mission, yes. who was also on my podcast and also recently spoke at Fertility Rally Live. She's a three-time cancer survivor. She did preserve her fertility before she started treatments like you did, but she started Chick Mission with the very thing that you're talking about because there's, you know, young cancer patients out there that A, might not know that this is something that they should look into or B, right. they might not have the funds or the, you know, the dollars oh, to do it. Absolutely. So, so Chick Mission has been so great and they give grants to people and, you know, raise awareness and all that stuff. So if anybody's listening, you know, definitely check out Chick Mission as well. And Amanda, she's just incredible. Yeah, that is that is amazing. I am mm-hmm. in a bunch of different cancer support groups mm-hmm. and some women were never given the opportunity because their oncologist never mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Some there wasn't time to. Some were told that they would eventually get their period back and they never did. And mm-hmm. they actually just entered menopause and are not able to have kids. So, wow. Uh, yeah. So Chick Mission, I, I know all about it from you actually telling me and I read into it, but it's something I passed along to that group as Good. well. That's yeah. great. I feel like the, so for the group that was told they were going to get their period again, I know. how like robbed would, must they feel, you know, like that's just something you weren't prepared for. It's like shitty enough that you're going through this cancer diagnosis. And right. then on top of that, you know, right. they're, you've been either given misinformation or lied to, or just brushed aside or, you know, I just, that's gotta be so tough. I feel, I feel the exact same way. I think that I don't want to speak for all doctors, but women sometimes I feel like have this reputation that they, you can't tell them the full truth because they won't be able to handle it or only give them, you know, the most positive prognosis possible. And I just fully disagree with that mindset. I think women are the strongest and are better at processing that kind of information than men. And they need to be told everything to be able to make their proper the proper decision for them in their life. And so for those women who were told they're going to get their period back, part of me wonders, you know, how sure were they that the doctor, how sure were the doctors that they were going to get their period back? Maybe they should have said, Hey, why don't you take time to think about an egg retrieval process? We can't guarantee that you'll have your period back. Mm -hmm. And they were just never given that option. Um, Mm -hmm. Really frustrating to me. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, conversations like this that will change and, you know, the groups that you're in and, 
yeah, you know, the more people will talk about this, the more they know. Cause I know you can't put the total onus on the doctors. Cause it's like, no. we have to be responsible for, but there's so much that you just don't know about your own body and you want doctors to tell you because you trust them. So it kind of goes both ways. Yes, I agree. But I think it's the most important for women to just keep sharing their stories so that mm-hmm. they become commonplace and you, you just simply know to ask certain things that maybe people didn't think to ask 10 years ago. Completely, completely. That's why I'm so glad we're having this conversation. So can we talk a little bit more about just the treatment for you and how that all was? So yeah. you did the retrieval and then I'm sorry if you said this before, but how long before you started your chemo after? Oh, the like very next day. Immediate. Okay. Yes. So I had wow. the chemotherapy that started the next day. So I was starting the process of chemo while healing from the egg retrieval. Oh um, and it was once a week for six weeks. I had cisplatin, which is a type of chemo that is super common within cervical cancer diagnoses. And it is one of the only or one of the few chemotherapies where you don't lose your hair just because of the different chemicals. So I didn't lose my hair, but I did go through chemo. And then I also had very intense radiation. I had radiation every day for six and a half weeks. Wow. Yeah. And I think people oftentimes don't recognize how, I guess, altering radiation can be. It is to me was just as intense as the chemotherapy and actually left me with more symptoms post-treatment than the chemo did. And then I also had two internal procedures called brachytherapy, which is a very specific type of procedure. And you actually go under, then they have two metal rods Mm -hmm. that go into your vagina and, and pull it apart. And then they put a tiny piece of radiation directly next to the tumor inside of you. Oh my God. And you actually have to lay completely flat. Your bed is not allowed to be raised whatsoever. So you have a catheter, et cetera, et cetera, for a full 24 hours. Oh my God. And I can't say it's not painful. And then, yeah. And then you literally lay there and then after 24 hours, they go back in and put you under again and they remove the metal rods and I believe whatever's left of the, the radiation. Oh and I had So the rods are in there for 24 hours? Oh, yeah. Holy shit, Caroline. Yeah. So like trying to have sex after knowing that's happened to your vagina is, is a little tough. <laughs> yeah. Because you just have a lot of PTSD from something completely, like that. Completely. Completely. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, I was. It was terrible. I am my very best friend in the world. Who's also named Caroline. She had her wedding scheduled and it was right in between my two procedures. So I went in for the one procedure laid for the 24 hours. They removed it. I healed for about a day and a half, two days. And then my parents drove me from New York city to Buffalo Hmm. where I got to give my maid of honor speech. That was about all I could uh, handle in terms Mm -hmm. of energy levels, but I did that. And then I passed out basically of exhaustion Mm -hmm. and then got back in the car the very next day, drove back to New York city, had chemo two days later, and then my second procedure the next day. Oh my God. Was the second procedure the same, like the metal thing again or something different? It was the two metal rods. Okay. uh, and that procedure. Oh my and, God, you are yeah. so strong. 
You're Thanks. like superhero. That's crazy. That's so nice. I really appreciate that. No, I just, I mean, I think that it's important to talk about even the specific treatment. Cause I like, I don't know any of this, you know, like I, I didn't know anything about that, that that was a thing. So I think it's just yeah. interesting also in terms of empathy from other people. And I don't mean that as like, woe is you, everyone feels sorry for you, but it's like, people are going through this on a daily basis. And yeah. just the level of kindness that people should have, you never know what someone's going through. There's so yeah. much that people go through that is behind the scenes and never and discussed. Cancer and, and having the these issues that come after cancer has made me much softer. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still super passionate about what I care about, but in everyday life, I'm a lot softer than mm -hmm. I used to be. I think I had some more hard edges. Yeah. Before I was makes, diagnosed. That makes sense. And then I have a question about the radiation. So what is that? I know chemo is like an infusion, right? Like they're giving you kind of a drip. Mm -hmm. What is radiation? Is it you go into like an MRI kind of a machine or like, how does that look? Very similar to the, the concept of an MRI machine, but it doesn't make any noise or it made some noise, but not nearly the same as some MRI or machines. But you go in and based on your type of cancer, that will tell you where it's located, where the radiation needs to be. So mine was my, my pelvic area. Mm -hmm. And then um, it will also tell you the duration of time that you're under that machine for. And I can't speak to that because I think it varies on not only your type of cancer, but how, you know, what stage your cancer is at and so many other specifics. Mm -hmm. I mean, to talk about the specifics. So my oncologist actually met with someone who worked in physics to determine where my radiation, especially the brachytherapy would be because it is so specific and in such a small area that the grid had to be lined up perfectly. Mm -hmm. That's how precise it is. So prior to my radiation beginning, actually, when I was still going through fertility treatment, I was fitted in this mold that to give you an idea or a picture, it looks kind of like those blue plastic swimming pools that are for babies that you mm -hmm. put in the backyard. It was very similar to that. And it was molded to my legs and then to probably like my mid waist. And I was fitted into that. And then they put the grid on it and then they actually tattooed me. So I have three little circles within my lower stomach and pelvic area that are still there. And every time, every single day that I would go for radiation, I would get into that little pool mm -hmm. and they would actually have to line up the three tattoos with the lasers on the machine. Mm -hmm. And then they would go back on the other side and double check it on their computer. They'd come back and tweak me a little. And that would probably go on for like five to seven minutes until mm -hmm. absolutely perfectly straight. And then I laid there for about 20 minutes, usually sometimes mm -hmm. longer. Wow. I mean, medicine is just incredible. And all these people yeah. like Haley and everybody else at all these, you know, hospitals and cancer treatment centers are just yeah. total angels. So shout yeah. out to all of them. Yes. 100%. <laughs> oh, I also wanted to ask you, you said that there were side effects from the radiation. What were those? So one of the less glorious, I mean, they're all pretty or less glamorous, I should say they're all pretty, um, 
not glamorous, but the one is I have a lot of bowel issues because of how close the radiation was to my rectum. Mm -hmm. Uh, So going to the bathroom is very painful Mm. and it changed a lot of how my digestive system actually works because it can shrink and enlarge intestines that are nearby. So my body's still kind of figuring out how to do that. Mm -hmm. And I have pretty much ongoing hemorrhoids and anal fissures. Mm-hmm. So the going to the bathroom is, is pretty painful. And then mm-hmm. as well as that having sex is mm-hmm. also really painful. I'm sure. Um, my partner is incredible and has really worked with me on finding different positions mm-hmm. that work and, you know, what lubes work and such, but mm-hmm. it is nowhere near what I was doing as a 25 year old having sex. Right. <laughs> There's um, zero spontaneity to it. Yeah, <laughs> totally planned, and you know it—it's not as sexy. We mm-hmm. still just as intimate because I love him, but I can't right. say it's the same fun process that it used to be. Thank Hopefully you for we'll saying that. There, but, but yeah, I feel like I have to. I mean, that's just my truth. Yeah, and I think a lot of infertility, you know, people like TTC sisters can relate to that. There's no spontaneity when you're trying to have a baby yeah. and you can't, and you have to time everything and it's track like an everything. And, yeah. item, you know, and having that conversation, especially, I mean, we hadn't even been together for a full year. Right. Yet. Some, you know, some people have difficult time conversing about this and they've been married for 20 years. Yeah. We were just starting. And so yeah. I think for me and for him, it was like, okay, how do we still make this, you know, still feel like we're 27, 28, but also be aware of my body and the fact that we have to work on it to make it better. You know, they do say though, that the more sex you have, the better it will eventually feel because you are, you know, loosening those muscles, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it's not a bad thing to have painful sex. It's not like pain means no, but it definitely changes the experience of it. Completely. Thank you for sharing that. And then I also want to ask you about chemo brain, which we talked about a little bit briefly at the start of, before we started recording. So tell me about that. Well, if you've heard me at all during this podcast, change a word or pause for a second, it's that, but I, it is this concept that after chemo and it can be at various different kinds of chemo, you have trouble remembering in real time what you were about to say or something that had just happened. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes I'll be at a dinner party and I'll be talking and I'll be in this great story. And then all of a sudden I genuinely cannot remember what the heck I was going to say next and why I was even talking about it. And I just kind of look over to my boyfriend Forrest and I'm like, Oh, this is so embarrassing. (laughs) But in full disclosure, I was a little nervous to do this podcast, not talking about cancer, but just that I would have a moment like that. Yeah. Well, and what I said was, I think it's so endearing and real. And that's what we like to do on this show is, you know, <laughs> show the the good and the bad and the ugly. And if you did have yeah. a moment like that, I was like, fuck it. It's real <laughs> life, you know? It's real for sure. So yeah. I think it's good to show that. I really do. And again, thank you. Of course. Thank you for creating this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So where are, where are you with everything now? What's, are you cancer free? So you're not technically to say you're cancer free until the five year mark. Okay. Is that like a not PC term or something? Or should I say something else? Oh no, not at at all. You're totally PC and and (laughs) definitely, I think, I think some people say that they're cancer free 
and some people don't. And that's why I said the technicality part of it. But yes, I tell people I'm cancer free because life is short. And right now there is no cancer in my body. Yay. So I'm going to say I'm cancer free. And I said that as soon as I got my second PET scan that came back saying there were no new lesions and the tumor had shrunk tremendously. So if you were to ask my oncologist, is she cancer free? I don't know if they would also say yes, because they speak in, you know, technical medical, but, but yes, I'm going to say I am. That's so awesome. So how did it feel to get that, those results after so many negative results, right? I think just as scary because I am so in love with life and Mm. I actually, um, I end up crying often less from a depression and, and the opposite. Whereas I, I love life so much that to the thought of losing it or losing my freedom because of having to be in treatment and knowing how good it is, is usually the most painful. Mm, um, I fully agree. I feel the same way. Right. Yeah. yeah I do. <laughs> it's like the opposite of depression. I don't know what the word Sometimes is. Sometimes I'm like, I'll get so happy or like content that I, I get really nervous and then I'll start to cry. Cause I'm like, I don't want to lose this. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Allie, 100%. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's me to a T. And uh, so I think every time it's like, obviously this immense wave of gratefulness, but it's also scary because who, you know, unless you've been through cancer and you go to a PET scan every three months, you don't really check in on your life like that, where you're like, wow, I'm alive. But after going through cancer and, and I have a full body PET scan every three months, it's like, I'm so aware of my life. I'm so Mm -hmm. aware that it could be taken away. Mm -hmm. I think it makes me grateful, but it's also scary in itself. Right. Yeah. And, and what about not to jump the gun on this, but what about the family planning? Like, what do you have? I'm sure you guys have, you know, in the back of your mind somewhere, right? Oh, not jumping the gun. No, I talk about it a lot. I, I definitely want a family. And I am going to go through surrogacy because that's, um, and if for using my eggs, that's the only option, but I also mm-hmm. am looking at adoption mm-hmm. and whether or not that will be in the next couple of years or not. I think that's not, that hasn't been decided yet. And I can't say I'm in a massive rush, but I also feel like I can say that because I have the privilege of knowing that my eggs are frozen somewhere. And like, mm-hmm. you know, yes, it sucks the reason that I had to freeze my eggs and I'm not downplaying the gravity of it. But I also am aware of the silver linings. And I think I can say things like, oh, you know, I'm going to wait a couple of years because I know that I have them there. So mm-hmm. right now, Forrest and I, we we talk about surrogacy and, you know, would we want it to be a friend of ours? Would we want it to be a family member? Or would we want it to be someone we've absolutely never met who, you know, won't be in our lives per se after it? And like, what are the pros and cons of each of those? And that's still where I have a lot of exploring to do. Mm-hmm. But I, I always wanted to adopt even before I couldn't bear children. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, maybe I kind of knew in the back of my mind, because I would always tell my parents and my cousins and my friends that I wanted to adopt kind of from an early age. So I I do think about that pretty often as well. Wow. Yeah. Forrest is is sure I'm going to have a miracle baby. Oh, yeah. But um, (laughs) that would truly be a miracle. That's awesome. Well, oh my gosh, this has been an amazing story. And 
I honestly, like, I feel so much love for you. Like, I know we've never met, but I'm so happy that we, you know, that Haley put us in touch. And I really feel like this story is going to change things for people. You know, this, I haven't heard a lot about this. You know, I'm, I've done hundreds of interviews on this topic, you know, various topics surrounding fertility and infertility. And, you know, this is something that doesn't get talked about enough. So thank you for being so honest and open and, you know, is before we wrap up is, oh, oh, wait, I do want to talk about femunity a little bit more. So can you tell us more about exactly how people can use that or, you know, use it as a resource or. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that too. It, it would be really wonderful to me if, if someone got something out of this and, and it helped them. Oh, what? one minute, there's more airplane. <laughs> so Femunity is a community crowdsourcing platform. And right now we're in phase one of the website. So we have about 200 beta contributors and it is just various health forums. And I consider women's health to be anything a woman experiences, not just anything that's related to her reproductive system. So it could be headaches, it could be lower back pain, it could be, you know, ongoing throat issues, whatever it might be, but it's, we have about 11 forums already set up with different categories and women just go in and they type out their stories, their experiences, their questions, and then other women can comment on it. Mm -hmm. So for me, I would have written my symptoms that I was experiencing for those six months and been like, has anyone ever felt this? And hopefully a lot of women be able to comment back and then Mm -hmm. you can have internal conversations on those threads. Mm -hmm. But an important part of the platform is that it's anonymous. So Mm -hmm. you do not have to fully disclose yourself. You can, and some people do choose to, uh, and others do not, but Mm -hmm. it's been really rewarding so far to hear some of the beta contributors talk about how much the platforms already help them just same symptoms that they do Mm -hmm. and to feel less alone. And I just believe that it's only doing a disservice to each other by not sharing our stories. I've said that so many times in my life too, about infertility. I'm like, we're only doing each each other a disservice. We have to talk about this shit. We have to help each other out. No more taboo. Yes. So it's, is it, what's the website? So the it's, website is www.femunity, uh-huh. F-E-M-U-N-I-T-Y, org. Okay. Cause I just went to .com and it was not up and I was like, um, you might want to pay your bill. <laughs> <laughs> right now, if you were to go to it though, it's still going to be in its beta form. So you're not, gotcha. you might not have all access, but I'm, our launch date is December 4th which is the first time I've announced that, um, but December 4th. So people should, uh, should check it out starting December 4th. But for right now, they can go to the Instagram, which is uh, FEM underscore underscore unity. Uh-huh. And we have crowdsourcing happening on the Instagram in anticipation for the launch of the website. All right. So thanks again for coming back for season three of Infertile AF. And thank you so much to Caroline for that incredible story. She is such a strong person and such an amazing, cool person. And I love just how much detail she gave. And I know she's going to help so many people by telling us all of her story. So Caroline, 
Love you, girl. Thank you so much again. I also wanted to say if you guys have two minutes and you can go over to wherever you watch or listen to the podcast on Apple or whatever, give it a rating, give it a review. It really helps us get noticed and it helps with the algorithm to get discovered, to share many more of these stories. So I'm about to sneeze. So I'm going to say thank you very much. And I will talk to you guys again soon. Bye.